And so I want to read Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not believe that this is just talking about debts of money. You could do something to somebody and you owe them a debt of kindness and apology. You may owe God a a, a debt of repentance. Amen. Someone else can do something to you that, that they may owe you a debt of apology and repentance. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The King James says from evil, but this verse identifies the presence of the force behind temptation. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then this story that is familiar to everyone, John 8, verse 3, then the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. And as I pointed out last week, well, where was the guy then? Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning from the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman was standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Most of the time when you read this story, or you hear it read in church, or a preacher preaches from it, or a teacher, they stop at verse 11. And they read where Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And that is the conclusion of their reading. To do that lends the impression that what Jesus has done is ignored or possibly even condoned what she has been guilty of. You must connect verse 12. For verse 12, what Jesus, it really explains what Jesus means when he says, neither do I condemn you. What he's really saying is I'm not condemning you because I understand the emptiness on the inside. And then he spoke to them again and said, I am the light of the world. In other words, I'm the one that you've been looking for. I'm the reason that you feel empty. Whatever drove you into that situation, that affair, you really were looking for me. And I don't condemn the hunger. You just didn't feel it in the right way, so go and sin no more. I am the light of the world that will light up your life. Can somebody in the building say amen? And you will not have to walk in this darkness anymore. I want to speak this morning from the subject, go and sin no more, moving beyond your failures. This is the second part in this particular sermon that I'm preaching from, and I'm in a series on healing a divided heart from the text in Hosea, where God said Israel had a divided heart. 
I'm finishing up this series next Sunday. And as you know, I've been talking about how every strength actually has a corresponding weakness built into it. The flip side, the reverse side of the coin is that strength that we're proud of has a weakness that must be addressed that's on the opposite end of the spectrum from this. It goes along with the strength. I started by talking about Samson who was so strong that he could kill a thousand people, enemy soldiers, all by himself. Now these were not just ordinary citizens, they were soldiers trained in war. And yet he was defeated by a little woman that weighed 120 pounds probably, soaking wet. All because in his great strength he failed to diagnose the corresponding weakness. Amen. Like Samson, your strengths can be setting you up for a failure. And the enemy is always there, and the world, trying to take advantage of our innate human weaknesses. A golfer, this joke, in a competitive match with a friend who is ahead by a couple of strokes, is about to try a putt, and he says to himself, I'd give anything if I could sink this next putt. And a stranger walks up to him and whispers, would you give a fourth of your sex life? I told you I'm talking plain in this series. The golfer thinks a man is crazy and that his answer will be meaningless, but also that, well, maybe this is a good omen and it will put him in the right frame of mind to make the difficult putt. And he says, okay, and he sinks the putt. But two hours or two holes later, he mumbles to himself, boy, if I can only get an eagle on this hole. And the same stranger moves into his side and says, would it be worth another fourth of your sex life. And the golfer shrugs and says, sure, and he makes the eagle down to the final hole now. The golfer needs yet another eagle to win, and though he says nothing, nothing, the stranger moves into his side and said, would you be willing to give up the rest of your sex life to win this match? And the golfer says, certainly. And he makes the eagle, and as the golfer walks to the clubhouse, the stranger walks alongside and says, you know, I'm really not being fair with you because you don't know who I am. I'm the devil. And from now on, you will have no sex life. And the golfer said, bless you, my son. My name's Father O'Malley. I'm the head of the Catholic Church. And <laughs> You need to be careful who you make a deal with. Can I hear somebody say that's right? Let's be truthful. Because we are an imperfect people and we live in an imperfect and fallen world, the enemy from time to time is successful in luring us into temptation or the trap of the wicked one. We don't want to admit it, especially around church where we polish our halos, you know. You know, we we, we don't want to admit it. But the truth is, Jesus said every day we should pray, forgive us our debts. And we should also pray, do not lead us into temptation. Every day, we have to pray that. And whether that trap is anger, impatience, envy, lust, greed, or other things that lead to outright failure. Not a single person in this room today is perfect. There is no good thing that dwells in this flesh. The night Jesus was arrested after... He was betrayed. Two of his chosen disciples from 
the inner circle of 12, and one of these two, even from the inner circle, which was of the three closest disciples to Jesus, both of them had serious failures in their lives. The very night he was betrayed. One of them was Judas, who succumbed to the temptation to be the one to betray Christ. But if you consider that Simon Peter also succumbed to the temptation to deny Jesus and that they are both actually the very same sin. You don't think about it like that. They were both acts of betrayal. Both of them experienced great remorse over what they had done. However, Judas couldn't see any place where he could be restored. No, no place. The result of his great despair at having be, acted impulsively and having betrayed Christ and not seeing any hope that he could grow beyond that defining moment of weakness was that he went into such a depression that he went and hanged himself. He committed suicide. I have preached the funeral of people that were Christians that went into such depression over their struggle that they took their lives. We don't like to talk about this. But I'm dealing with things in this series that must be addressed. And sadly, that's the path that very many people find themselves on after they've done something that either destroyed their self-respect or caused them to lose hope. They've done something they're ashamed of. It's brought them such embarrassment. Or they were very successful by the world's yardstick and measure, but it didn't bring happiness. Witness the list of celebrity suicides that we have seen recently from Robin Williams to Aaron Hernandez, from Kate Spade to Anthony Bourdain and a host of others. You would never have known by watching Anthony Bourdain's program that he was about to take his own life. These people seem to have reached the very heights of what you and I would call success, didn't they? They had fame. They had money. Everyone knew who they were. They couldn't walk in a restaurant without somebody recognizing them. They were on all the TV programs, all the celebrity shows, and the news constantly, and yet on the inside they were empty. You couldn't see it because of all the fame and the glamour and the floodlights, but they were hurting, and they achieved what they set out to do, and they thought that if they had wealth and success, it would bring them happiness. If they had fame and fortune, their lives would be set. And they succeeded and found out it didn't work. And they didn't know where else to turn. So having run out of options, they gave up and ended everything. Because when you're in that world, you see, it's not cool to be a Christian you don't get any roles for acting. You're not invited to participate in movies. You're not going to be an actor in a TV program. You're not going to be invited on anybody's show, be interviewed, right? And that's often the case. And Christians are discriminated against in Hollywood. Many, many stories I could tell you about that. And so you know what they do? As they climb that ladder to success, they leave everything they had ever heard about God behind. And God's no longer necessary. And aha, now I've reached the top. And I can, from my view, I can see the whole world. But it's not what I thought it was going to be. If only their 
counselors and psychiatrists had told them to try Christ again. But you see, that wouldn't have been cool. Hurting people are often driven people. This is an important principle. You may wonder what causes someone to push themselves so hard. But when people are driven, they're usually making a statement by all of that hard work and effort. They really are. I know, I'm I'm a driven person. That's how I was raised. Abandoned by my mom at the age of four. And I either was going to spend my life in depression, which I experienced a lot of as a kid. Or I was going to end up giving myself to something that I could give myself totally to. I'm so glad God found me then. Because I was giving myself to the wrong things. Amen. The wrong things. When you see people who are driven, they're making a statement. They feel that they earn their significance by being more successful than others. And that's why they drive themselves so hard. And you know what? They're also the ones who are most likely to succeed at what they start out doing. But again, very often they're the ones that end up being the most empty because it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. Peter also, like Judas, betrayed the Lord, only he didn't do it once. He did it three times. Denied him three times. The same night, it was twice. He had done it once before. Whenever Jesus said, whom do men say that I, the son of man, Alan, and everybody spoke up and Jesus said, foretold his impending death. You remember what Peter said. He said, not me. I I won't ever do that. I'm not going to do what you just said I would do. And, And he denied that he would ever betray the Lord. Three times he denied he would betray the Lord. Twice he told Jesus, Jesus, I will never betray you. And then once shortly before, the 16th chapter of Matthew is where you find that third place he denied that he would ever deny the Lord. Amen. I hope I'm not confusing you. Three times he said he would not deny the Lord. Three times he did deny the Lord. Twice you read on the night of Jesus' betrayal, he said, I'll not deny you. The other time was in the 16th chapter of Matthew. Here's the kicker. Most of us think the 16th chapter of Matthew is in the middle of the ministry of Jesus. It isn't. It's out of chronological order. All scholars say it happened just before the week of Christ's passion. So three recent times, Peter said, I'll never deny you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Judas denied Jesus once. Peter did three times. Judas felt great remorse, saw no hope, killed himself. Peter also found great remorse and disappointment in himself for what he had done. The difference between him and Judas is that he found grace to put his failure behind him and try again. That's the difference in recovery. You can live in despondency and depression, or you can find the grace of God that will pick you up. Oh, I need an amen out there somewhere. And Peter went on to become 50 days after he betrayed the Lord. He went on to become the very apostle that God used to open the door of the church on the day of Pentecost. When 3,000 were added to the church, he recovered his destiny, though he had messed up. Last week, I talked about how Satan will use one of two strategies over and over and over again against you. One is he will try to get you to avoid pain by using short-term pleasure, by choosing short-term pleasure. 
getting involved in things that will give you a hit and a thrill for a moment, but it doesn't last. One of the things that that people struggle with is this flesh is built with certain appetites. And the world and the devil are always trying to appeal to you to satisfy those appetites that will give you a short-term thrill. Amen. Yes, they will. I'm not going to tell you there's no fun in sin. The Bible said that Moses chose to uh, suffer the afflictions with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a, say it, season. Yeah, there's some fun out there for a little while. (laughs) It's cool to get high. Cool to get drunk, right? Have indiscriminate sex. Use these apps, Tinder, and all these other things, and all these hookups. No commitment, no relationship. Yeah, but a little bit further down the road. When you're struggling with alcoholism or drug addiction or a venereal disease, I'm sorry, I'm going to talk really plain to you today. Amen. Or you have degraded women in your own mind until all they are is a piece of meat now. And you can't have a viable relationship. Or you've given yourself away to so many different... (laughs) That like the old song says, every time you go away, you take a piece of me with you. You don't have anything left now. This is Lecrae, one of the best known gospel artists. We're torn to get involved in things we shouldn't. Put it up there. Uh, I remember back in 02, I was in school and acting a fool. My soul got saved, my debt had been paid, but still I kept running off with my crew. Sex on my brain and death in my veins. I had a main thing, we stayed up to two, smoking. Waking and baking, we naked, my body was loving it, soul was hating it. I want you to hear and time and time after time, our bodies grew close, the girl was so fine. She had a heart, we heard a heartbeat that wasn't hers or mine. The miracle of life had started inside. Ignored the warning signs, suppressed that truth I felt inside. I was just having fun with this. I'm too young for this. I'm thinking me, myself, and I. Should I sacrifice this life to keep my vanity and live nice? But she loves and trusts me so much that whatever I say, she'll probably oblige. But I was too selfish with my time. Scared my dreams were not going to survive. So I dropped her off at that clinic. That day a part of us died. So... That's a true story. story. And he wrote a song about it. Became a Christian, but was involved in an immoral relationship. And his body was loving it, but his soul was hating it. Have you ever been there with anything in your life? Have you ever done something that though your flesh was enjoying it, your soul was saying, you don't need to be doing this. Right while you're involved in it. Somebody is whispering to you, saying, this is not who I called you to be. Amen. Listen to this, Proverbs 20, 25. An impulsive vow is a trap. Later, you'll wish you could get out of it. Whoa. You act impulsively. You always regret it. It's easier to get into debt than it is to get out of it. How many of you get all these offers for credit cards every day? Real easy to fill one of those things out and run it up, right? 
You see, that new dress, that new bag, that new pair of shoes, that new suit, that new boat or whatever it is, really easy to give in. But then there are the notes that have to be paid every month. And it's easier also to get, I I won't talk to you now, into a bad relationship than it is to get out of it. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah. It's easier to become addicted than it is to get free from an addiction. It's easier to say yes than it is to say no. The first strategy the enemy uses is he wants you to avoid pain by choosing short-term pleasure. You say, what do you mean by pain? That's the innate emptiness in each one of us that we were born with that only God can feel. But then you add on top of that abuse, a broken marriage, a childhood that was, wasn't all it was cracked up to be. School things happen. Classmates treated you. You grew up with all of this, these inhibiting factors in your life that left you with pain. And so we do things to self-medicate. The second strategy the enemy uses is he seeks to have us to avoid delayed gratification. And if there's any story in the Bible that illustrates this, I'll only mention him briefly because he's not the the main theme of my message this morning, but it's Esau. He came in from hunting one day and his brother is cooking pottage, which is really lentils. And we don't eat a lot of lentils here in the South, but go to an Asian Indian restaurant and order dal, D-A-L. That's lentils. You can either get the black dal or the yellow dal. They're both good. Amen. They come with my recommendation. <laughs> and he smelled the lentils cooking. And he tells Jacob, I'm going to die. I need something to eat. I got news for you, Esau. You're not going to die if you miss one day not having anything to eat. I need a better amen from some. Some of you have never missed a meal for, never gone with, you have no idea what I'm talking. I'll die, Pastor. I know I'll die. I made it till lunch, but that was as far as I can go. Esau, you're not going to die. And it works in other ways. I'm going to die if I don't have a drink. I'm going to die if I don't have sex. No. Help me out here, somebody. You're not going to die. And if you are in a relationship and you're not married and somebody runs that game on you, I'm dying. Say, tell me where to send the flowers. I'll send them. Okay. I won't be going to your funeral, but I'll send flowers because this is the end of our relationship. If you got to use me to gratify your physical appetites and you want to turn me into that, no, mm -mm, not going to happen. Israel should have been called the nation of Esau. Did you know that? It wasn't called the nation of Israel because Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, whom God later changed his name into Israel. God himself should have been called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. He wasn't. You're not going to die. And what Esau did is he put short-term pleasure over long-term profit. And when you are tempted to do this in your life, stop. Alto. All of us have done it. You might feel afraid or depressed. Listen, 
and you feel like you need to go get a drink or a hit, I'm talking to people that struggle, that have come into the church and deal with issues. Let me tell you, what you're not going to die if you don't give in to that. Looking at Peter's failure can actually help us. Studying Judas? <laughs> not so much. <laughs> but Peter's situation can help us when we look at what caused P- Peter to fail. Most failures can be traced to three things we do wrong. Are you ready? Number one, we overestimate our own strengths. Matthew 26, 31 through 35, then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Those are the two times. The other is Matthew 16, where he denies that he would ever deny Christ. So he ends up denying Christ three times, one for every time he said he wouldn't. You can't stand in your own strength. Amen. First Corinthians ten twelve. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Battles are lost because people overestimate their own strength. Marriages fail. Businesses go belly up. Finances fail. And even ministries and churches fail all for this reason. People also misuse their strengths. As I've pointed out already, every strength has a corresponding and equal weakness built into it like Samson. And we don't, here's the problem, we don't guard ourselves from our strengths. If we guard ourselves from anything, it's from our weaknesses. But if you only guard against your weakness, listen, an unguarded strength can be twice as dangerous as a known and guarded weakness. Because you think, I'm strong in this area. I want you to look right now at your hands. And I want you to say to yourself, there is no good thing in this flesh. It will get you in trouble. If you begin to seek immediate gratification, you're not willing to say no. You're not willing to, to, to deny yourself the two strategies that I pointed out just a moment ago. If you can't tell yourself no once in a while, I promise you, I promise you, it will hurt you. You'll make decisions that you will later regret. Amen. And do you know that oftentimes, as I said, your strength ends up betraying you? And here's why. Because sometimes it's after our greatest victories that we are the most susceptible to weakness and to failure. Yes, it is. It's after you land that contract. It's after you marry that beautiful woman that you were hoping to marry. It's, it's after you get that raise or that promotion. It's after you land that job. It's after your dream is fulfilled. Look, 
Elijah's dream was to deal with the prophets of Baal. So one sunshining day, I mean, there wasn't a cloud in the sky anywhere. We know that. He climbs Mount Carmel, challenges the prophets of Baal to a, a shootout, as it were, a spiritual shootout. He calls down fire from heaven. They can't. He kills all of them. And now then his life's work has been accomplished. His dream is fulfilled. And what do we find him doing next? Lying under a juniper bush in depression saying, Lord, take my life. Because it's after a great victory that sometimes you're the most tempted. If you don't believe it, look at the life of Jesus. He lived 30 years. And then he goes and gets baptized. (laughs) Amen. And it was after his baptism that heaven opens And he hears these words, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And straight away, the spirit drove him into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. It's after the father affirmed him. It's after the victory. It's after, oh, am I I talking to anybody? It's after you achieve your goal. It's after you win the battle. The enemy slyly slips up. And number two, battles are also lost and we fail because we fear the disapproval of others. That was Peter's weakness, Matthew 26, 58. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and he sat with the servants to see the end. Anybody notice a potential problem right there? He followed him at a distance. Don't follow Christ at a distance. Especially if you're struggling with an issue, get close to him, worship, get in the presence of God. That's why I shared with you my own personal experience. That's why we're having the worship encounter tonight, that you can be in the divine presence of God Almighty. And if you need something from God, I want you to know you stand a whole lot better chance of getting it then than you will at any other time. In his presence. Amen. In his presence. 69 of the same chapter says, Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you're saying. Wow. He followed Jesus at a distance. Now he's denying Christ because he needs the approval of others. I want you to ask yourself, why do the opinions of others even matter so much to you? It's because we have a wound on the inside. We need self, our self-esteem to be bolstered. We need acceptance. We need a connection. And we've had so many connections that didn't work out that oftentimes we're looking to try to build as many as we can. Don't ever let your need for approval cause you to be less than who you were supposed to be. If you got to step down from where you are and who you are to meet approval, you don't need that person's approval anyway. Amen. Oh, hear, hear, hear the word of the Lord. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five: the fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in God protects you from that. The Good News Translation says, it is dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you, but if you trust the Lord, you are safe. We have any baseball fans here? Safe. 
your marriage is safe. Hello, somebody. Your life is safe. Your future is safe. Your walk with God is safe. Your ministry is safe. But if you're concerned about what other people think, it isn't. There's a third reason we fail. And that is because like Peter, we speak things without thinking through what we're going to say. Yeah. We don't think about the unintended consequences of what we're going to say or do. And we speak from our emotions just like Peter did. We speak our fears. We speak our anger. We speak out of envy. We, we speak out of our insecurity. And wham, then when we're hit with the consequences of our own words, we're shocked. Matthew twenty six seventy one. And when he had gone to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. Now that's when it really gets bad. When somebody tells you that you were with them, that's one thing. But when they now start talking about you in front of you, and they're building their little, their little team against you as it were, You know, that's when it really becomes painful. And again, he denied, but this time with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who came by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear saying, I do not know the man. Your self-talk can get you into serious trouble. Peter cursed and cursing is not a sign of maturity. It's a sign of weakness. It is a sign of frustration. You're speaking out of your emotions. You're losing the battle to control your own emotions. And here's the thing about emotions. You either control them or they will control you. Amen. Amen. He began to curse. This is what James said, James 3, verse 5. The tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. A great forest fire can be set on Fire, a great force can be set on fire, rather, by one tiny spark, and the tongue is a flame of fire. It is, whoa, full. Everybody say full of wickedness and poisons every part of the body. You can talk yourself into some stuff. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm, you're going to be hungry in no time at all. It's been a long time since I had sex. I need sex. It, The next thing you know, you'll be driven right to a computer and pulling up websites you don't need to pull up. Now, if you're visiting with us today, I want you to know a lot of times I am a nice pastor. A lot of time. (laughs) But I'm having to deal with real human issues because before God can visit us, we have to personally experience cleansing in our own lives amen and the tongue he said is set on fire by hell itself and can turn our whole lives into a blazing flame of destruction and disaster here's the good news and i'm closing after peter failed he did three things right that helped him recover file this away i will finish this next sunday You will need what I'm about to tell you. Number one, Peter experienced pain and remorse for his failure. He didn't minimize it. He didn't justify it. He didn't ignore it. He didn't downplay it. He didn't make excuses. He he didn't say, let's move on beyond this. He experienced remorse for what he had done. We don't like to feel pain, so we will not allow ourselves to experience remorse. Have you ever seen the sign on the back of Bumper stickers, it's even on t-shirts, no regrets. All I can tell you is the person wearing that is one more miserable person. 
Because if you can't have regrets in your life, you will keep doing the same thing over and over and over that hurt you and hurt others. And one day you're going to be a lonely old man or old woman. Because you never had regrets about the people you hurt or the bad decisions you made. Amen. Peter experienced pain. We don't like it. Somebody tells us, you need to be sorry for what you did. Okay, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. Okay, five seconds. I'm done. Let's move on from it now. And that works against our recovery. Ask any addict who's ever been struck out on drugs or an alcoholic that was in the grip of alcoholism, and they'll tell you the one thing that never allowed them to move forward was they always wanted to skip the remorse part, move through that. And you know what happens? Until you face it and deal with it, you won't get over it. Amen. And so it wasn't until they faced it and grieved over their problems that they began to make their way toward recovery. And this is what Peter did in Matthew 26, 75, when the crow of the rooster was heard. Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. That's remorse. And if you don't experience your remorse, it has been proven time and time again. There are whole psychological studies on this. You will repeat your failure. You can't will yourself into recovery and wholeness. It's a gift from God. Look what David said in Psalms 51, 17, after his failure with Bathsheba. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, God, you will not despise. Now, I know we all like to get happy and shout and worship God. But let me tell you what holds some people down from being able to do that. They've never allowed their heart to be broken over the things that they've done that have grieved the Holy Spirit. And grieved and hurt people around them. And when you have a broken heart, you know how you treat it? I once had a full-length cast all the way, twice in fact, in my childhood. All the way from my hip down to my ankle. Full-length cast. And I can tell you when I got out of the hospital, I was careful about that thing. You were walking anywhere around me, I said, be careful. I've got a cast on. Amen. I sat down. You sat down beside me. I was looking at the distance between the, the two of us. Make sure you didn't bump my leg. I got a cast. I've been, I had surgery. And when, if you got up and wanted to walk over my foot, ah! Amen. I got a leg there. It's got a cast on it. I know, I know. We just want to make sure you see it. Because when your heart is broken, you protect it. You keep it away from that stuff that it was involved in before. You don't allow all that stuff to attract you. Because you don't, put your, you don't drive by the same places. You don't go see the same people. You don't pull up the same websites. You delete some numbers from your phone. You might need to get rid of WhatsApp. I'm just being real out there. Amen. Peter heard the rooster crow. And the second thing that Peter did right was he let those in close fellowship with him support him and help him. This is after his failure. John 20, 19, the same day at evening, then the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. And Peter was there. 
Here's what we do when we do wrong. We don't go to church. We stay home. Especially men, we go to our cave. Come on, guys. What's wrong with you? Nothing. Lose ourselves in the remote control in another sports game. Amen. Worst thing in the world you can do, if you have grieved the Holy Spirit, if you've grieved yourself, be in the house of God. Be with other believers. Don't hide it. Amen. Tell some people that you trust, I'm struggling. Help me. Pray with me. Hold me accountable. Amen. Third thing you do is you cast yourself upon God's mercy, and I'm done with this. In the books written by Peter, after his massive failure and denial of Christ, Peter talks about mercy. 1 Peter 1 and 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Who's that talking? It's the guy that betrayed Christ the same night Judas did. But one never found mercy and the other found mercy. And he begins his book by talking about the abundant mercy of God. And I'm here to tell you that every child of God has access to the abundant mercy of God. Hear what I'm saying. Your father loves you more than you can ever possibly imagine. And God is waiting to help pick you up just like he did Peter. You're powerful beyond your wildest dreams. Yes, you are. There is inside of you a divine spark that can change the world. Or at least change your world and the worlds of those who live around you that you have influence with. 